this is going to be a bit awkward, but hey, it's fine. <laughs> Welcome, brother. It's good to have you. Tumi is married to, to Lali. They have two children, a little boy and a girl, and it's great to have you. Thanks, yeah. Tumi. Good morning, Rooted. So good to be here. Uh, I've been looking forward to coming to Pretoria. Um, I was a student at the University of Pretoria for a number of years, and I did walk out with degrees, by the way. So I, so I wasn't just hanging out, you know, it was, a, it was a good time to be there. That's where I met Ane while he was a student at uh, Varsity. He was friends with my um, cousin. And so uh, those of you guys who went to Duckies, I understand. Uh, how to live in the res and all that. We figured it out and God was good, nevertheless. And now I'm alive. I'm married, as uh, Jonah said, to Lali. And God has blessed us with two beautiful kids. My son is two. He never sleeps. So if I take a nap during the sermon, just understand, uh, I am a bit tired. What I should say to you guys before I get into preaching is that my wife and I love honor and confidence. Um, we really appreciate the gift that they are, not just to you guys, but to the body of Christ, especially to us. Um, I spend um, quite a a lot of my time talking to Honor about, hey, you know, how's this going? How are you guys doing? Uh, you guys planted out a number of uh, months before us, so you are ahead in this track of church planting. And not just church planting, but of church planting transcultural churches, churches that are diverse, churches where people like you are gathered. And so our church is similar in terms of demographics uh, to yours. Uh, we have people of all shades, of all colors, uh, from all the chocolate people, all the vanilla people. We're all gathered together under one roof. And so even as we worship, others clap this way, others clap like that. It's okay. We love everybody. And so I get to chat with him and just spend um, time learning and gleaning from what you guys have gone through. And I know you guys are in Pretoria, so it's even a bit harder for you. We are in the wonderful city of Midrand. I got to spend a wonderful time with him in the U.S. last month, just learning about how God is using you guys uh, just to change the city for his glory. So I'm very honored to come and share the word of God with you this morning. One thing I learned as I was planting a transcultural church was that African people don't mind how long you preach as long as you bring the fire on and you sweat a bit and uh, you, you know, like you really bring fire and brimstone. They're happy about that. But white people kind of like... Uh, Brother, we got brunch after this. So, you know, you know you, you're taking a bit long, you know. So I've learned over time that I should get me, myself, some notes and just kind of like a track, you know. Every now and then I'll get a bit excited. Please join in with me. Amen, hallelujah, to spur me on from all my chocolate brothers and sisters and everybody else in between. And I'll just stick to the notes for everybody else, okay, to make sure that we get out on time. I wasn't given a time limit, but I guess there is a time limit, Okay. Let's get on with it. If you have your Bible with you, please open it up in 1 Corinthians chapter number 12. And so for the better part of this year, uh, Rooted, NBC, our church, and uh, Branston Bible Church, we have been tracking through 1 Corinthians. And we've entitled this series in 1 Corinthians, Messy Grace, because it's all about how God finds messed up people like me and you. But he doesn't just leave us there. He saves us and he takes us on a journey where we can be changed and transformed and begin to change the world around us. And so whoever you are this morning, whatever sin you've committed, however you think you are far from God, know this, God's mercy will always reach to you. You are never too far for God to reach to you and to change your life and transform everything about you for his glory. Amen? We can get a better amen than that. So three weeks ago, we started a series within a series, the second one we were doing in the series, where we are speaking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So from chapters 12 to chapters 14, Paul focuses on one thing, 
spiritual gifts. He says at uh, the, the top of chapter 12, he says to the Corinthian church, I don't want you to be unaware or I don't want you not to know about spiritual gifts. And so in week one, we said that spiritual gifts are still evident in the church today. There are those who don't believe that the spiritual gifts continue to 2,000 uh, years later after the church has started. We call ourselves continuationists. That means those who believe that the gifts carry on even after the first disciples or the first apostles have died. Now, this band of continuationism is a very large one. On the right, we have what we call hypercharismatics. These guys, they want to sing all day, pass out in the spirit, you know, just pray in tongues all the time. And then on the left, well, I should stop it around. And then on the other side, you have those guys who call themselves continuationists. But I call them charismatics with seatbelts. They believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. They believe. Do you believe? Yes. The gifts exist. Yes, they do. Why aren't they manifest? Well, we believe, but it's hard to act. And so I'm aware as I preach to a diverse room like this, you could be anywhere on the spectrum. You could even be a cessationist. So I believe that as we open the word of God together, that the Holy Spirit would do the work, not me, but him in and through me, so that he might be glorified. Amen? So we also believe that as continuations, that God gives us specific instructions of how the Spirit is to work in a community such as this. And so we don't just teach on the Holy Spirit as a, oh, 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 just uh, download stuff from heaven. No, no, no. We open up the word to hear what God says, how it should happen. Are you in 1 Corinthians 12? Verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. And God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, next miracles, then gifts of healing, helping administration, various kinds of tongues. And then it says in verse 29, he asks these questions. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all do miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in other tongues? Do all interpret? But desire the greater gifts, and I will show you an even better way. So Verse 31, he begins to talk about love, which is what chapter 13 is all about. So we won't touch that this morning. Let me pray for us and let us dive into what God would have for us this morning. So Father God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this opportunity. Even as we prayed earlier, God, that we are gathered not just as rooted fellowship, but with many churches around this country and around the world to worship and to magnify our Lord Jesus Christ. So Father God, we pray that as we open up your word that you would speak through me, God, let me speak your word, Lord God, in season. But Lord God, let it rebuke. Lord God, let it teach. Let it instruct. Let it give wise counsel, Lord God, to everybody listening. I pray, Lord God, that every mind is alert and every heart is receptive to hear from you, Lord God. More of you, Lord God, so that when we walk out of this room, we'll be different than when we walked in to the glory of your name. Amen. So what we've said throughout this whole series is that the gifts of the Spirit, or the, the gifts that the Spirit gives are for the common good of the church and so that the church might flourish. And so if you don't understand why Paul says this to this church, if you don't understand the backdrop rather of 1 Corinthians, it'll be very hard for you to understand why does Paul begin chapter 12 with this metaphor of the body being the church or the church being the body. So I just want to take us back a bit because right at the beginning of 1 Corinthians, Paul says, hey guys, you are the best church around. You are enriched in every way. 
God has given you all kinds of gifts, very much like you guys here in Pretoria. He says, you are an all-star team. You're full of MVPs. But because, but, but what happens when you put a, a, a bunch of MVPs in the same team, rivalry and, and friction begins to happen because this guy thinks he's better than that guy. And so we find this church that is highly gifted, loved by God, but they're very divided. So guys are divided on socio, along socioeconomic lines, around ethnic lines, around everything that they could find. Very much like our country. One of the things that I studied in varsity was sociology. And we've come to realize that two hours in South Africa's life every week are the most divided hours in South Africa. That's 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Because everybody who works together or works for somebody else, Monday to Saturday, goes to work with people who don't look like them. Right? When you go to Spur, you go to people who don't look like you. You might not hang out with them, but you tend to be in the same spaces. But every single Sunday between 10 a.m. and 12 p.m., we all go to churches with people who look like us, sound like us, have the same kind of money like we do. So this church had everybody in, but they still divided themselves. These guys were so divisive that when Honor would be preaching up here, that side of the room would be like, hey, our guy's preaching. Come on, preach it, brother. Bring fire down. Let's put 100 rand, Ray. Preach it good. <laughs> and these guys over here would be like, ah, where's Jonah? This guy is going on and on, and he's twanging. Bring Jonah. When Jonah's on, that group over there is like, oh, no, last week was so hot. And I don't know about you guys. You're just there. <laughs> but that's what used to happen in this church, week in and week out. It was so bad that even when they came to the communion table, they would still be divided. They couldn't table with one another. So you the rich cats show up in the Bentley coops and just take a tons of food out of the boot and say, hey guys, what do you have? I have Sauvignon Blanc and whatnot. Because at, the, at those times when they had communion, it was not just a juice and bread or juice and whatever you want to call it. They had a whole meal. So it was bring the best food. So eat and run would work very well for communion. And the rich guys would have caviar and everything else, and they would be like, oh, we're going to divide this up among ourselves and exclude all the poorer guys. That's how bad division was in this church. So when Paul writes to these guys, he says, no, Christ's church ought not to be so. And throughout 1 Corinthians, he's telling them, guys, no, you can do better than this. But like a good parent, Paul doesn't just scold them. He doesn't just say, no, 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 no. In chapter 12, he gives them a blueprint of how they should behave. Good parenting is not just all about no. Good parenting is also telling your kids what they should do. So Paul leaves them with this masterpiece of a chapter. He says, guys, no. God has called us to more than just hanging out in church. God's called you to more than just parking your car and sitting in a chair and being here for an hour and a half, two hours or three hours and the black guy's preaching. No. God's called you to much more than that. Are we good this morning? You still paying attention? I have three, observa I have three observations for you. And then I'll head on the car to go back to Joburg. First observation is this. The Holy Spirit gives individually and corporately. The Holy Spirit gives individually and corporately. We found this in verse 27. 
Paul says, now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. Here's the thing about the body of Jesus Christ. We are not just another institution. I know when politicians talk on television, they say, oh, the church, that august institution. No, we are the body of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit resides in us. We aren't just some thing or an organization that people can talk about. No, we are called by God. And that makes us pretty special. And God puts us on the earth with a purpose. And with that purpose, he empowers us or he endows us with spiritual gifts. When the world looks at the church, they just say, oh, God is gracious, God is kind, God is loving. Mind you, God didn't have to do anything for us. The Bible is very clear that men chose to turn their back on God. But God, so rich in mercy, sees us running away from him. He comes running after us and he extends his hand of grace, of chassid, the Bible says. John 3, 16 says, for God so loved the world. When the world didn't love him, when the world was not looking for him, God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his one and only son. So those who put their trust in Christ might receive eternal life. That's the first gift, the best gift we've ever, we've ever received. But then when Jesus goes back up in heaven, he says, hey, the Holy Spirit is coming. One who will help you to live this life in such a way that the world around you will marvel and wonder and think, what is wrong with these people? So a little while later in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit comes down and he fills the church. I love what the Bible calls the Holy Spirit. It uses a, a Greek word. That word is paraclete. It means helper. One who comes alongside. Hey, if you're a Christian this morning, you don't have a guardian angel. You have God inside you helping you every single day. Can you imagine what power resides within you? Paul says the same power that raised Christ from the dead is at work in who? In you. The Holy Spirit comes alongside to help you. But not just that. He gives gifts to the church. And through the Holy Spirit giving gifts to the church, we see an attribute of God. God is a giver, never a taker. He's always giving. So the Holy Spirit gives gifts. So chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians is all about Paul telling us that God has just given lavishly. And God doesn't give us gifts because we have 10 degrees or no degree. God doesn't care. He's not a respecter of persons. God is sovereign. And he looks down on the earth and he begins to give gifts. As and when he wills. But then I know there's those of us, and I'll touch on it later, who feel that God didn't give me the best gift. The prophet Isaiah from Corinth says something very powerful. And he paints a picture, an illustration of a potter making a pot, playing with clay. And he says, shall the clay that's being molded into whatever the potter would have it be, tell the potter what it should look like? No, it can't. Likewise. 
When God gives you a gift, it's not for you to question Him. He's sovereign. He knows which gift is best for you. The best thing to say, God, thank you. I appreciate the gift. Might not be what I wanted, but this is good. It's all good. And so this morning, the gifts we're going to look at focus mainly on public gifts or those gifts that are in the foreground. These gifts are of people who stand up and who get the acclaim. When we see those gifts on display, we're like, mm, that was good. And as we talk about these gifts that are really on display, those of us who have gifts that are more in the background or in behind the scenes are going to kind of feel like, why is no one appreciating me? Why is no one talking about me this morning? Here's the wonderful thing. Paul realizes that those with, le- with less public gifts might feel like that. So he jumbles all the gifts up. He doesn't lift the more public gifts and lower those that are more in the background. No, he just lists them all together. He says, all oh, these are spiritual gifts. But then that's also a warning to those of us who have been gifted with public gifts. It's not a license to be arrogant. You're not the guy when you're supposed to lead worship and you're asking, I only want avian water, only avian water for me. That's not what you should be doing. All of us should realize this. We are in the body of Christ. We're all equal and we all submit to one another. Or as Anna put it last week, your, individu- your individuality is only really incredible when, is it, when it is integrated into the inner workings of the body of Christ. Let me read it again. Your individuality is only really incredible when it is integrated into inner workings of the body of Christ. That's how Anna says it. It sounds so good. Let me, let's move on. So whether you have a background gift or a platform gift or foreground gift, the Holy Spirit says all of us have to function together. All of us have to come together. So God's body can be seen in all its magnificence. So the Holy Spirit has given us gifts. But those gifts only work in the body. So Paul's metaphorical argument in chapter 12 is all about this. Think of the gift that God has given you as a part in your body. So if God has made you to be an ear, don't expect everyone else around you to be an ear. I know that as people, we kind of like things that look like us. As a middle-class black South African, I feel most comfortable around other middle-class black South Africans. I don't have black guilt. Those of you don't know what that is, no? Because where I live, my neighbor is not going to come around and ask me for sugar. We're all doing okay, guys. I got German cars, right? My cousins make me feel guilty about that. I don't need that. So when I go to Tasha's, I want to be able to pay for my meal without thinking, "Eh, this could help somebody." That's where I feel most comfortable. But it is not so. God wants me to be in a place where there are things that don't look like me. So Paul says, when you hang around places and when you see gifts and you only want to hang around those gifts that are like you, he says, that is not right. So let me go back to my illustration of an ear. So if you're gifted to be an ear and everything else around you is an ear, that's just weird. Can you imagine a body made out of an, of an ear? The whole body's an ear? Hmm, 
That looks grotesque. I can imagine this on a Friday night and you hear an ad on television that says this, tonight on E, Mr. Ear, an invasion of the ear. No, that's a horror movie. Paul says, no. You are part of the body. And each part, when put together, each different part, when put together, makes up the whole body. So the body is made up of many parts. And all those parts are important. And so in verse 14, he mentions this. He says, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. In verse 20, he says, as it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Then he repeats it another way in verse 27. Now you're the body of Christ and individually members of it. So last Sunday, I know you guys spent a great deal on this, but then because Paul comes back to it, we also need to come back to it. Clearly, Paul wants us to understand this. After you've read chapter 12, don't miss this. You are different, but you're supposed to work together. Don't just desire to have people who are gifted like you or people of similar gifting. Go out and seek those who are different so that God can be glorified in it. So one body, many members. And this leads us to our second observation, which is the Holy Spirit gives diversely. The Holy Spirit gives diversely. So in verse 28, he says, and God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, next miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, various kinds of tongues. Then he begins to ask now, based on the list that he's given, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers? Do all do miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in other tongues? Do all interpret? So as you just read those few verses, you'd realize that some of the gifts he mentioned earlier on in the same chapter are there, but some are not. And so when you read the whole Bible, you realize that, that there are tons and tons of gifts. It's a smorgasbord of gifts. It's a buffet of gifts. And so Paul is not giving us a list that says, oh, no, there are only ten. No, no, there are tons of gifts. Why does God give tons of gifts? Writing to the church in Ephesus, Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 10. He says, this is so that God's multifaceted wisdom may now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in heaven. That word there, the Greek word there, multifaceted just means many-sided or multicolored. In other words, when God says something is blue, you better ask, which blue? It's multicolored because to God, blue could mean a thousand or four thousand shades of blue. For those of you who like motor cars, when you walk down to Rolls-Royce Motors in Santon City and you say to them, I want a blue car. Blue's my favorite color, by the way, if you didn't get it. They will give you a color palette of 400 blues. And this, these are human beings. Think about God. So if you get messed up trying to choose a color for a car, what about thinking what God is saying? Blue. Paul says, God gives gifts to the church. So God's intent for the church is that through the church, 
the world, but not just the world, the rulers and authorities in heaven, in the heavens. What's God talking about? Spiritual deities. That through the church, spiritual entities, demons, devils, and the devil himself, that when they look at the church, they should see God's multifaceted wisdom on display on the earth. That should say something about you as a Christian. That should say something about rooted fellowship in the city of Pretoria. You are dangerous. You're potent. Because God inhabits you. There is something special about you. Heaven has deposited something special and even Satan takes notice of that. For some of you, you kind of think, oh, I came to Rooted and now there's spiritual warfare in my life. Why? Duh! You begin to display some of God's multifaceted wisdom in this city. That is going to happen. When honor and confidence were looking for a place to have church in. I'm sure he's told you the story a number of times, right? They looked for months. And even places that they thought would be open to them were closed. That's spiritual warfare. I don't care how you put it. That is spiritual warfare. Why? Because in the place, in the seat of apartheid, in the place where legislation was written to segregate and to divide this nation, God says, I'm going to plant a church that will show the world that this is possible in Christ. What's possible? That people who are diverse, of different colors, different ethnicities, of different people groups can hang out together and love one another. Do you think for a minute the powers and principalities that are resident in Pretoria were like, go ahead. Hell no. We're going to shut them down. Shut them down. And God says through the church, through the church, through the gifts that he gives the church, you will be on display. Amen. So God says, I do the fellowship because I see much bigger or much further or much higher than you guys see. I'm going to land diverse gifts. And I know which gifts you need as a local church. And I'm going to strategically engineer for people to come here with diverse gifts so that this church can be effective and be able to carry out the mission that I need and want to see in this city. So no matter what gift you have, it's not a mistake that you've been put here. God loves diversity. Diversity brings richness to our lives. That's why God has not gifted everybody here with a gift of teaching. Just some. And others have got other ministries. Enjoy that richness. In as much as you enjoy the diversity of culture and of ethnicities, enjoy the diversity of the gifts of the Spirit. No matter where you are, I believe that God mandated for Rooted to be set up in this country as an example, as a shining beacon for the world to see. That even in South Africa, the hours of 10 to 12 don't have to be divided for the glory of his name. And my prayer continues that long may this church continue, may this church grow, may this church affect and change people. So when people say, where is it that people hang around together? They don't just go to the mall. They come here. It's happening. Amen.
with that in mind of diverse heart, I just want to spend some time, and I know your city groups are going to spend time with this during the week, just going through the gifts. I just want to give you a highline, a top line view of what some of these gifts are, just to give some of you a taste of the diversity, of the richness that God gives us. As I said earlier, Paul knows that the public gifts will always get more attention, so he kind of enmeshes them with other gifts that are not so public. And so he says, first, apostles. I love this term, apostle. Because there are many guys in the city where I minister who are called apostle. And they drive big British cars. You know, there's a level, you know, what are my levels here? You see, there are guys who drive German cars and there are guys who drive British cars. Do, do, do you understand that? So what, Bentleys and Rolls Royces, guys, and he gets out the car and you're like, what's the matter? Apostle so-and-so. You can see I only drove in a VW here, so I'm not one of those. The term apostle is not for you to get into a jet and fly all over the world calling yourself an apostle and dispensing anointings and asking people for money so hoping that you can build yourself a bigger house in Midrand. No, 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 no. It's not a title you give yourself. In the Bible, that term apostle speaks of a messenger. It talks of the male guy. He's sent to send, to give out mail. That's what it means. An apostolos, go and give mail. And when we talk about apostle, we're not talking about a capital A apostle, Peter or Paul, guys who saw Jesus and guys who wrote scripture, the canon is closed, that is the Bible is closed, no one else can add to scripture, and uh, we haven't seen Jesus, I mean in the flesh, so therefore we are out of that. But we're talking about the gift of apostle. These are guys who are, God has gifted with an ability to pioneer new work, to go out into hard places where there are no church plants, and say, we are called by God to preach the gospel where you might want to kill us, but we'll stand. You might hate us, but we will continue doing the work that God has called us to do. So in that frame, and listen to me carefully, I'm not saying honor is an apostle, please. But in that frame, rooted is like an apostolic church. A church that's going to do something hard in an area that won't really receive it, won't readily receive it. Apostles pioneer new things. When we talk about transcultural in South Africa, that is new. And it causes the church to flourish. These are people who are trailblazers in the church. When they establish something, it carries on and they train up others who will carry on the work of the gospel. Paul says to Timothy, he says, Timothy, appoint men, faithful men, who will appoint other men, who will teach them the doctrines and the ways of God and that should carry on. That's the role of the church. That's the role of an apostle to be teaching, training, and sending our people and teaching, training, sending our people until Jesus comes back. But being an apostle is not fun. It's not for shiny three pieces. No, no, no. It's a hard calling. Throughout the scripture, whenever you see the term apostle, it speaks of hardship. It's hard. Paul had one requirement on his CV. Not in his CV. Paul wanted to see one thing on your CV. So guys, I'm sure, because Paul was a famous guy. Like, oh, I want to travel with Paul. I want to be with Paul. I want to be with Paul. I want to be with Paul. Paul, 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 Paul. Paul said, show me your CV. I know. I've got a PhD in theology. Um... A demon in, in whatever. Ah. Paul's like, mm, ah, mm, ah. there's just something in your CV I don't see. But Paul, I've worked at Richard for five years, Paul. Paul says, have you ever been beaten? Have you ever been left for dead? Have people ever spat on you? No, you don't qualify. What's Paul was looking for on the CV? Were you ever beaten, busted, and disgusted? That's what Paul wants. That's the role of an apostle. 
Paul says he was beaten almost within an inch of his life three times. So that's the gift that God gives. So if you desire the gift of apostleship, know that people are going to beat you. <laughs> Second, he talks about the gift of prophet. I personally love this gift because it shows that God loves us and God cares for us. God loves his church so much that he gifted the church the, a prophetic gift. It's the ability to receive and to proclaim the word of God. Prophets are known to be people who are exhorters, who are encouragers. So God knows that as we journey along this life of Christianity, times will be tough. So how does he exhort us? He sends a prophetic word to give us unction to function. He says, hey, my child, I see you. You are there in the thick of it. I am still present. I know for many of us, we've seen prophets on television and the guy says, ah, oh, ah, oh, ah, oh, I see something blue. Ooh, ooh, ooh. A blue verpa. No. No. A prophet is there to give you word of God, to exhort you, to encourage you in your Christian walk. And even when they bring a word of rebuke for sin, it's to spur you on in your walk. It's never to condemn so if God calls you out on your sin, know this, God loves you enough to call you out. He's a good, good father. He's not rebuking you because he hates you. He's rebuking you because you need to change so that you can fulfill the calling he has put in your life. So when we see the gift of prophet, we should realize that there's strengthening here. And sometimes, sometimes, a prophet will foretell the future. We see this in Acts 21 when Agabus picks up Paul's belt and he says, this man, but now listen to this prophetic word, which is what's going to happen to Paul. This man will suffer. And he'll be taken to Rome and killed. Huh. The prophet didn't say, you're going to marry a guy who's tall, dark, and handsome. No, 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 no. You're going to suffer. Foretelling by a prophet should always show the goodness and the excellencies of God's plan for his kingdom. And generally, that's what foretelling would be in a prophetic gift. Thirdly, it talks about teachers. And that's the gift to clearly articulate the word of God and to go back behind the scenes and to research. I know a lot of people in congregations, I know you guys don't think that. I know at my church people think that. They think I sit all day next to my telephone hoping that God would call me. They don't realize it takes about 20 to 30 hours a week to actually study the sermon, figure it out, what's God saying, spend some time in prayer, and write something that will actually be intelligible for them to actually go, mm, okay, he said something. I don't like what he said, but he said something. And so God gives the gift of teaching so that people who are gifted in this area can go study the scriptures, really seek God. God, what were you actually saying? to engage the text, do the, all the necessary research, and then come on a Sunday and give it to you in such a way that you can understand and go home and, and explain to your friends and sound like you're clever. That's what it is. But it's also to be able to speak truth and grace because there are a lot of hard things. And when we did 1 Corinthians 6 and 7, there are a lot of hard thing, things that God says, right? But God gives, gives this gift, rather, so that people who have it can be able to teach truth and grace and hold that tension. I'm going to give you God's truth, but 
I'm going to be gracious as well. Not more truth than grace or more grace than truth, but both at the same time. So God gifts us to the church that people can be able to have correct teaching. And I know here you guys receive a good diet. You have a good nourishment of God's word. Fourth, he talks about gifts of healing. So God works through human instruments, through people to bring healing. When I talk about healing, I'm not talking about metaphoric healing or we suppose it happened in a actual healing. God cares about your body. God cares about your mind. He cares about your mental health. And in a world full of sickness, healing shows that God is near to his people. He cares. He cares about your suffering. In fact, James chapter number five, James says this, if any of you are sick, call the elders of the church. Let them pray for you. He doesn't say, listen, ah, Hashem. Oh, he's sick. Oh, too bad. No, no, no. Come and pray for you. James is expecting to see change in our lives. Because God, listen to me, Richard, God has you guys on mission. And when you're sick, you can't be on that mission. So we need to pray that you be healed. Then he talks about, fifthly, he talks about gifts of helps. This is big, especially in the church plant. This is huge. These are guys who run around in the background. Sunday services wouldn't function for me if I didn't have people like this. They make sure that everything looks good here. I heard somebody here came here the other day and said, this place looks sexy. Yeah. So it's those people who make this place look sexy. These gifts ensure that other people's gifts shine. As they work in the background, those in the foreground's gifts shine. Paul, writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4 and 11, says this. Only Luke is with me. Then he says to, then he says to Timothy, bring Mark with you, for he is useful to me in the ministry. Historians tell us that John Mark was a personal assistant to Paul. So Paul, this great apostle, Paul, this writer of the Bible, needed somebody in the background to ensure that Paul didn't tire out in ministry. Paul, I'll take care of this. I'll take care of that, Paul. You just focus on doing what? On praying and talking and rebuking and beating up people. Paul, I'll take care of everything else. That's what these guys do. The mischief helps. Then there are these people of gifts of administrations. When you're running a church plant once more, this is necessary. This is a guy who faithfully holds the rudder at the back. When the captain says, turn right, he's like, okay, I'm going to do that. I'm in the background. Everybody sees the captain, but I'm going to listen. And because I am doing what I'm told to do, everything runs smoothly. Without those people working hard, this church and the ship would go nowhere. So these guys function to make ministry easy. They smooth out stuff. We take your kids to kids' church. Everything runs well because these people who have been so gifted make everything work. Something as simple as setting up these chairs calls for people with that kind of gift. I know for some of you who show up a bit late here, it happens to me, at least in mid maybe not here. Guys think that the chairs along the wall spoke to each other and said, hey, you guys across the hall, let's all meet one another in the middle. And somehow the banners did the same thing. The wall went up and it's like, the tea station's like, guys, no. There's some background gifts that allow for this stuff to happen. And we should appreciate those people as well. That's why Paul uses this powerful metaphor of the body. Because how many of us can ever see our, have ever seen our pancreas? Most of us not, unless you've been to hospital. Right? 
But it functions, doesn't it? It makes the rest of you great. Can you imagine when you have a tummy ache, what happens to that smile of yours? It goes. But you don't think about your stomach. So Paul says, this is what the body of Christ is like. I'm almost done. He talks about the gift of miracles. And this is when God just shows up and he just turns things upside down. He circumvents the laws of nature and the laws of physics just for his name's sake. And people who've been given the gift of miracles call on God to do the miraculous. God, will you just show up and change the stuff that's happening here? They believe God for the big answers to big prayers. So God, we want to see some miracles, some miracles every day, some miracles we want to see every now and then. But because of the miracles, they don't happen every day because then there cease to be miracles, right? And these guys don't chase miracles. And I know we live in a country where people go from church to church looking for miracles, looking for the next miracle man, looking for the next man of God who can give me something. People who've been gifted like this don't do that. They don't do that. They lie quietly and expect God to show up when God chooses to show up. But how many of you know that the biggest and best miracle, the bestest miracle, as my daughter would say, that we've ever received is the miracle of salvation? When God came down as a man, so he might experience life and then die on a cross, take a punishment that he didn't deserve, that you and I might live lives that give him glory forever and a day. That's the miracle we should all be praying for. For family members, for people, for friends, for colleagues who are far from God and say, God, we want to see the miracle of salvation happen in their lives. Our, fi- our final observation is this. The Spirit gives gifts for maximum missional impact. You guys, as Richard Fellowship, have a commission to obey. When Jesus went back to heaven, he said to his disciples, go out into all the world and make disciples. There is no and stop. No, make disciples. And for the last 2,000 years, the church of Jesus Christ has been following that commission, make disciples. Rooted Fellowship is called to make disciples. So whenever you guys gather here on a Sunday morning or during the week when you preach the Word of God, when baptisms are are seen like in September, that is us following the commission of Jesus Christ. And we're showing the powers and principalities of this world God's multifaceted kindness, His chassid to the world. Andy Stanley, an American pastor, says this, Jesus is the hope of the world and the local church is the vehicle of expressing that hope to the world. The local church, rooted fellowship, is a vehicle that God uses to express the hope of Jesus Christ to the world. So God gifts this church, this local body, with many types of gifts, with a a variety of gifts, with diverse gifts, so his kingdom might be established. Amen. So when Satan says to you, what are you guys doing? You and whose army? 
God has called us. It's me and God's army. We've been called to do this. Peter says, our enemy, Satan, is prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Always trying to trip us up in our work. But as the church of Jesus Christ, because we've been powered by the Spirit, we've been given gifts, and we function like a body, we are like those who can withstand him. There's a song, this will show my, give away my age, there's a song that came out in 1999 by TKZ. And there's a guy, Uchaisen, so I'll try to do it, I'm not much of a rapper and stuff like that, no? Talk to me about classical music, that's me. But he says this, in other words, for those of you who don't get that, he is saying, how can you oppress a person like me? How can you put somebody like me down? Because when you try and shut me down here, I open up there. When you shut down there, I'm, I'm here. We are everywhere. The church of Jesus Christ is just like that. When Satan stops the fire here, we are there. That's what gifts do for the church. When, the, when our enemy thinks he's shut down one gift and somebody else would really gets up with another gift, we're like, oh, you thought you could shut us down. Not here, brother, not here. That's why the Holy Spirit gives diverse gifts. That's God's majestic, multifaceted nature. And he wants that to be expressed by the local church. You can't shut this down. You can't shut this down. And I know as I'm, as I'm talking about gifts and the body and why we're called to the body and diverse gifts, I know there's bound to be somebody here who says, yeah, I hear you, preacher man. But yeah, you know, I've tried getting involved in the congregation before. You know, when I tried to use my gift, I was exploited and really I was just unappreciated. And I've just come to Roots of Fellowship just not to just come sit in the back and just chill and relax. I don't want to use my gift. I just want to relax. Truth is, I, I don't want to disregard your pain. But I do want to say what God would say to you. Your pain is real. Your past is real. But God is a God who heals, a God who restores. And God sees your pain. But God also wants to heal you. He wants to restore you. He wants you to go back to have a richer relationship with him and to join in with his other children that he's put in the body. He doesn't want you sitting back with your gift. He wants to get plugged in. The past is the past. God has a critical role for you to play in this church. A role that he has prepared you your whole life for you to fill. So how can you say to God, God, no. How can you just blow God off? So this morning my plea to you would be, say yes to God. Yeah, you've been hurt in the past, but say yes to God. I'm not disregarding that, but I want you to say yes to God. Say yes to God with your gift, no matter how visible or invisible that gift is. Because once you say yes, you'll experience something so incredible that you never thought was ever possible. And maybe for some of you here, God has brought you to this local church 
that's a, a growing church, that's a diverse church, so that you can get back into using your gift, where you'll be loved and appreciated. And many years from now, we'll all look back and say, look what God did with a bunch of insignificant people in Pretoria. Praise be the name of the Lord. Saying yes to God will be unearthing something so incredible that today we might not taste it, we might not have seen it, but when we look back as old people, we'll say, God, thank you. Thank you for using our church for the glory of your name. I just want to do one last thing before I step off here. I just want to pray for us. I want to pray for those who might have shown up here and, uh, yeah, you've been through horrendous church past. The church has hurt you. Everything just went just bad. I'm going to pray that God heal and restore you. And that slowly but surely you come back and we begin to see your gift working and God is glorified in and through you. But then after that, I want to pray for those of you who, and I don't know how you, how you all do it here, you'll direct me. I want to pray for those of you who are believing God for a miracle in your life. I'm not a dispenser of miracles. I'm not here to give you miracles. I'm not asking for an offering. But I've been prompted by the Holy Spirit as I was prepping this week that we should pray and believe God for some miracles. It might be financial. It might be fam family to do with building a relationship. It might be anything. Your business is suffering. Whatever it might be. So I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask those of you who need a miracle. You don't have to tell us what it is to stand and as a body those who are gathered around will pray with you and for you I know if, it's your, if it's your first time at church I know this is weird this is awkward but just just indulge us you can leave it to that crazy guy from Midrand that's all but just indulge us what if God doesn't answer yeah but what if he does what if he does we're praying to the maker of heaven and earth so I'm going, to pray for, I'm going to pray for the first group of people then I'm going to ask you to stand if, if you're in need of a miracle and let's see what God will do, okay? So Father God, we come to you thanking you God for your goodness, thanking God for your faithfulness toward us. And so Father God, we as a collective body right now want to pray for our brothers and sisters who've been wounded and hurt by the church in the past. We don't take that lightly so God, we ask even right now that God, you would send your Holy Spirit, the paraclete, the helper, that he'd come, Lord God, beside them in a very special way. That even, Lord, right now as they're seated, even those who hear the podcast later, God, you healed our hearts. That God, you removed the hurt that was inflicted upon them. And Lord God, you restore them, Lord God, to a place where they want to and desire to use their gifts in this local body. We pray, God, that as you begin to move even right now, people are letting go of past hurt or past pain. They're forgiving those people who've hurt them. Thank you, God, that you're God who cares. You're God who heals. Amen. Secondly, I want to pray, as I said, for those guys who are believing God for a miracle. Maybe it's just you. I don't know. If it might be a bit awkward for you to stand, but uh, I'd love for you to stand and for us just to pray some big, bold prayers. Say, God, I'm believing for a miracle.
and just let's see what God will do. Is anyone here? Okay. If you guys are standing up. If you're not standing, we just go around those people. We're just going to pray for them and just believe God that he would um, just do something wonderful, something incredible in their lives. This is why I'm saying the people around you should pray with you. We've been talking about how the body is of diverse gifts, right? And so it's not just the preacher man who is a gift, it's everybody in this church. If you believe in Jesus, God has gifted you. And this is us exercising our gifts. Okay? Let's pray. Father God, thank you that you are a miracle-working God. So Father God, we come with boldness this morning because your word says you give gifts of miracles. And Lord God, we know that miracles are those things that turn everything upside down. So Father God, this morning we pray for those who are standing, people who need miracles in their lives, And so, Father God, we pray by the power of your Holy Spirit, you might bring a miracle into their lives. Not so that we can be great, but so that your name can be glorified. Because everyone will know that but God, the situation would not have changed. But God, we would be going the wrong way. And so, Father God, whatever miracles people are standing for this morning, We say, Holy Spirit, come down. Show yourself mighty toward these people. I pray, God, for the gift of faith that we dare believe you for big things. I pray, God, for oneness of spirit. But as the body, God, we would desire to see more and more of you. We desire to see more of these spiritual gifts at work in our lives and in the lives of those who are next to us. So Holy Spirit, we ask that would you do your marvelous work in our lives. Miracles everywhere. Miracles, oh God. That you might be glorified. In the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you.